Okay, it's Wednesday before early elections start, and I'm sitting down with Tiffany Burks, who is running for Tarrant County Criminal District Attorney. These are very valuable hours. It's uh, almost 7 p.m., but I thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. You probably have no reason to remember this, but you were part of two very pivotal moments in my legal career. Oh, really? First, in about, it was around 2008, you came to Texas Tech School of Law, and you spoke to a group of young law students. Yes. And I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor at the time. I did not know that I wanted to come to Tarrant County. So your presentation is what really cinched the deal. And, and many people had been telling me at that time, Tarrant County was the place to go. So you coming to Texas Tech uh, ultimately led me to Fort Worth and becoming a prosecutor here and finally establishing a private practice here. So you're saying that you owe me. Uh, perhaps I do. I do. Uh, certainly my wife is thankful that I ended up in Fort Worth. So, so you could take credit for both the career and uh, in the marriage. The other pivotal moment, which, again, you have no reason to remember, but uh, it was 2009. It was probably around this time of year. You were the person who told me that I had passed the bar. Ah, I think I do remember that. Yeah. In I, court? In court. Mm -hmm. I was working for Sharon Wilson, mm -hmm. who was then the judge of criminal district court number one. I was there as an intern. I do remember. I was running an errand, walking back, and you come down the hallway and you say, results are out. You passed. Ah. So you were the bearer of very good news that I didn't have to take that test again. So, so you owe me twice. I do owe you twice. <laughs> well, again, thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. It's my privilege. I'd like to use this precious time wisely and ask you some questions that I think people want to hear about. You decided to run for district attorney. When Sharon Wilson was the presumed incumbent, everyone believed she would run for another term. And yet you decided to leave a long career at the DA's office and run for district attorney. I know you're a woman of faith. Tell me about your calling to become the next district attorney. Uh, so that was probably one of the most difficult decisions that I've ever made. Um, you know, you work in the DA's office for many, many years. Um, and as you already said, the Tarrant County DA's office was known for being, you know, the best of the best. Um, a lot of people there with lots of experience training young lawyers like myself. And I grew to love the office and have an affinity for the office, uh, not just because of what we were doing as prosecutors, affecting the lives of people every day, but because of the camaraderie that we had there, um, it's it just a great place to work. And one day um, I realized it was not the same office. A lot had changed. And after having many people come into my office and say, I wish you'd run, I wish you'd do it. Um, I guess I started thinking about it a little bit. Never planned to. Uh, my plan was always to just retire at the end of Sharon's term, December of, of this year. Uh, my husband had already retired and we were just going to, you know, go and do what retirees do. Um, but it kept just tugging at me um, that my time wasn't over yet. And so uh, I am a woman of faith, uh, lots of prayer, um, a lot of conversations with my husband, but one day I went to visit my mother um, and she told me, baby, I just want you to be brave. And I thought, huh, 
there's a word I hadn't heard in a while, uh, but it fit, you know, just to be brave. Because to, to leave the office uh, and to put your name in the hat and potentially run against your, your former boss, um, the person who had uh, promoted you in the office, I knew was a very difficult decision for me to make. Um, and so the moment that I made the decision, I was driving from Wichita Falls from a meeting and I was on my phone, which I shouldn't have been doing. Uh, but I was on Facebook and I saw one of my really good friends, she posted something and it said um, basically to be brave. And I thought, is this like manna from heaven? And so I pulled over and I called her. Uh, her name is Fran. And I said, Fran, what is this? Like, why did you post this? And she's a very, very, um, a person of faith also. Uh, and she said, I don't know, just God told me to post this today and that it was for someone. And I said, well, it was for me. And so we talked and we laughed and we cried and uh, because it, it was at that moment that I knew what I had to do. And, and so, and so here I am. You know, many would call Sharon Wilson a political juggernaut. And uh, it was quite a leap of faith at that time to step out and decide you're going to run against someone who has a, a big following. Yes. But again, it was, you know, when something calls you and pulls you, you have to be obedient to it. And, you know, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I, I hope the outcome will be uh, in my favor, but um, I, I just had to step out and, and be obedient. And, and do it. As much as Sharon Wilson has been seen as a political uh, juggernaut, many have criticized Sharon Wilson for her administration of the Tarrant County District Attorney's Office, taking it from the District Attorney's Office to go to, to an office that's seen over 90% turnover, according to some. How will you, as the next DA, address that turnover? Right now, you don't see experienced people applying to be part of that office. And yet experience and the discernment that comes with experience is in great need. How will you address that? You know, the way to address that is to make the office a desirable place for people to want to work. And you do that by increasing the morale in the office. And you do that by trusting the people that work for you, um, giving them uh, equipping them with the tools and the resources they need to do their job, but also giving them um, the discretion that we as prosecutors need in order to make sure we're getting our job done. And so that's where it will begin. It will begin with a leadership that says, um, I value you. You are appreciated. Um, your work is important. Um, and, you know, that's how it begins. The next phase will simply be trying to get people to come back to the office, of course, who would like to come back. There are so many prosecutors in that office right now who are working, working so hard. Um, they've uh, gotten some of the experience that they need. Um, but there is, a, there is a level of experience that I think the office uh, is in need of, and I'd like to bring some of that back. Um, that's not to say that the people that aren't there aren't working hard, because I know they are. I still talk to many of them. Um, but I think it's, it's important to bring some experience back to the office as well. 
you and I have both seen in our careers, you know, you can have good, talented people, but without great training in place and great trainers in place, it's very hard to get what you need as a prosecutor, which again comes back to discernment to be able to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. You talked about making a decision to essentially recommit your life to service. You come from a family that has given a lot to this country. Mm -hmm. uh, your, your father served and uh, you're married to a military man, mm -hmm. now retired. How has your service and your family service kind of shaped your desire to give up retirement and serve this community again? Yes, that's a great question. Um, you know, my family is everything and people who know me, they know that. Um, my father did serve in World War II. Um, he was a veteran of underage military service. He went in when he was 16. Wow. Um, and my husband retired military, my son's military, my brother's military, my sister-in-law military. Um, and my mother was a nurse. Uh, I have nurses and educators. And it's, it really is interesting because when I think about the work that all of my siblings do, I think it comes from a place that my parents um, instilled in all of us. Um, we are servant leaders. I think that's what we are. Um, we lead by example. Um, we lead from our actions. Um, and we lead with a, with a mind of service that everything that we're doing is to better uh, the people that are around us. And we got that from them. Truly, we got that from them. And so that's, that is what has framed um, my work as a prosecutor over the years. Um, every case that I've touched, I've tried to think of it as a way of serving the community, serving the victims, uh, and in some instances, even serving the defendants, depending upon you know, the nature of the, the case. But I have a servant's heart, a servant's mentality, uh, and I'm going to lead from that position as well. You touched on how the servant hearted nature of your family has helped shape who you are. How does your upbringing other than that help you with one of the attributes you're known for, which is your ability to sit down with anyone from any station in life and have a conversation with them to really see into their hearts when you're having that conversation? So uh, both of my parents taught all of us that every person should be treated with dignity and respect. And that's where that comes from. Um, you know, to, to be able to sit down with someone, um, regardless of what they've been through or where they come from, uh, that's, that's something that they, again, taught us. Um, they taught us to make sure that we're, we're treating people the way we would like to be treated. Right. And so in doing that, it becomes easy to just, you know, sit down and have a conversation with someone because you see them uh, as a human being, you know, not as a criminal, you know, not as a, um, you know, a bad person, good person. Um, just to see someone as a human being makes it so much easier just to have a conversation with them. And so that it's, so it, again, it comes from that same core um, belief system that my parents instilled in all of us. As criminal district attorney, your community is made up of people from all walks of life. Yes, it is. And you're also having to work with or alongside other politicians or other elected officials who also have varied backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Anyone that knows you knows you as a trial attorney. Uh, 
I got to witness that myself as an intern. And from that point on, I've always looked up to you as one of the best trial attorneys that I know. And oh, thank you. Today, you know, as I sit here and I've tried about 110 jury trials, now it's one trial attorney to another saying, I still look up to you as a phenomenal trial attorney, one of the best that I know. Why is having that trial experience, specifically, you're the only candidate in this case with capital murder trial experience. Why does having that type of trial experience matter as criminal district attorney? It matters because servant leader, I'm not going to ask people to do something that I can't do or wouldn't do. Uh, that's number one. Um, and so if I'm going to ask people to go into a courtroom and try some difficult cases, I need to at least have, have done that. Um, and as the district attorney, I know people say, you know, it's a, it's a, I mean, I've heard it said anyway, that it's a policy making position. Um, but I want to be accessible to the people within the office. And I want to be able to provide information and be a mentor. And the best way that I know that I can do that is having done the work that I'm asking them to do. And so uh, in that regard, I think it's invaluable. The other reason I think it's invaluable though is because when you are setting policy in the office, uh, when you are trying to make really major decisions like whether or not to seek death on a case, the experience that I've had and that I've uh, groomed over the years will help me make those decisions. Uh, coming from a, a, a pure place because I've done it. And I think the more experience you have, uh, the more opportunity you have to uh, build policy, uh, make decisions um, that are what, what's ultimately going to be best for the community. So um, I, I just think it's really important and invaluable to have that. When you left the district attorney's office um, August of last year, you left, uh, if I recall correctly, as the then highest ranking female at the DA's office. Yes. Well, besides the elected, of course. Mm -hmm. um, you were essentially number three at the office. So there was only one person between you and the elected, correct? In that role, did you supervise any attorneys? Yes. Okay. How many attorneys? So uh, as deputy chief of the criminal division, there were about 100 lawyers um, that I was responsible for. Uh, perhaps not all at once, but at any given time, uh, I had to make myself available for uh, any of those lawyers at any time. And, you know, that's part of the job that I really enjoyed the most. Uh, I used to joke there was a, a former deputy chief in the DA's office who's um, I always felt like never got any work done because everyone was always knocking on his door to ask him questions. And it was interesting how I kind of moved into that role. You know, I was the person who, you know, many people came, knocked on the door, sat on my sofa, um, asked questions about how to try a case, about uh, legal issues. And sometimes it didn't have anything at all to do with the practice of law. Sometimes it was personal issues or, or concerns that they had with, um, you know, how to, how to deal with defense attorneys, how to deal with judges. Um, and so, you know, I supervised a lot of people and I think that also helped me, uh, in my ability to lead the office, because I think I know from having those conversations, what, um, what, uh, having been an assistant DA and having supervised them, I know what their needs are. 
people often talk about the Tim Curry era. And of course, that was several administrations prior to this current administration. But it was known for one of the qualities you talked about, which is allowing attorneys to make their own decisions, to use their discernment, um, and to kind of enable that decision-making process. Mm -hmm. And you've already touched on the fact that you want to bring back those attributes. But the office is also not what it was 20 years ago. That is correct. And although there are some things we want to keep, how would you modernize the office? How would you bring in new ideas, new technology during your administration? Listening. Great. I mean, that's the answer, listening. Um, you know, leaders uh, need to, in my opinion, lead more than they uh, listen more than they speak. And that's important to me. And so over the last year, I've been doing a lot of listening, uh, listening to the needs of the community, listening to defense attorneys, listening to other prosecutors, uh, even listening to judges. I've just been doing a lot of listening. Um, and that's how you come up with uh, creative solutions to issues that are different from the issues that Mr. Curry may have had. Um, but what I but what I will bring into the office that I think Mr. Curry did bring into the office um, was a I guess the best way to call it is like a, a quiet leadership. I will be the person that will be making the decisions, but I won't let people in the office. Um, I will have their back. I will have their back. Yeah. And so so listening is important to know what the needs are, but it's also equally important uh, to have the backs of the, the people that work for you. Yeah, I didn't have the uh, pleasure of working for Mr. Curry, but I've heard other attorneys and certainly my former chief talk about as he enabled prosecutors to make decisions, mm -hmm. he always told them to make the right decision. And if they made what they believed to be the right decision in their heart, he would always have their back. That's right. And that's exactly what I will continue to do um, in the DA's office. You know, you can't give a prosecutor discretion and then when you give it to them, um, then fault them for the decision that they make. Ultimately, as the district attorney, uh, any decisions that they make are going to fall on me. And, and one thing that I think people can be sure of is that I will be accountable for all the decisions that are being made in the office. I, I won't let my prosecutors stand alone. I'm sure all the fellow defense attorneys are on the edge of their seats waiting for this next question. But talk to me a little bit about what your plans are for the office's approach. Will there be policies? Certain cases will always be handled a certain way. Um, and when you use the word discretion, how far does that discretion go with the individual prosecutors? Let me put it this way. There won't be blanket policies. There won't be, um, you must do this on these cases. You have to have that on these cases. We won't have blanket policies like that. Uh, but there will be some policies that will change. Uh, and I think some of them the defense bar will be happy about. Um, the biggest one being being able to make presentations to the grand jury. Um, Yes, because I, because I think that uh, ultimately uh, it helps to, you know, move some of the cases on the front end uh, that perhaps we may not realize have problems or that are problematic uh, and, and perhaps shouldn't move through our criminal justice system. Um, but there will be, will be some changes like that. There will be some changes in how we 
uh, present cases to the grand jury when it comes to political, um, not political, critical police incidents. There will be changes with respect to lawyers' um, abilities to be in the office. Um, I think we are public servants, and I think if a defense attorney needs to come to the DA's office and uh, meet with um, one of the lawyers there, they sh we should have an open office to allow that. So we're going to do that. Um, you know, there, there are some other changes, but um, probably one of the bigger ones, you know, when I left the DA's office, I did a few defense cases. You may not have known. I did not know that. And I did a few appointments. And sometimes when I would call, I wouldn't get a response. Um, and I know that people are busy, but one of the things that I really am going to impress upon the lawyers uh, in the DA's office is to communicate with the defense bar whenever they call and making sure they keep an open dialogue with the victims and witnesses when they call. Because um, because that's important, you know, again, public service. So there will be some changes, but I think for the most part, there will be changes that people um, people will, will appreciate. For our audience who... Uh who's not part of the defense bar, can you give a short explanation of what the grand jury is and why making presentations is an important uh, part of that? Absolutely. So the grand jury is the body that determines whether or not a case is going to be prosecuted. Um, we have grand jury lawyers within the DA's office, and they are responsible for presenting those cases to that body of grand jurors uh, to ensure that, first of all, we have probable cause, uh, but that is where we begin the process of determining whether we can even prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. And even though uh, beyond a reasonable doubt is not a standard in the grand jury, it's, it's probable cause, um, it's certainly the next step for the prosecutor. So we need to make sure that not only we have probable cause, but that this is a case that we can actually try. Um, and so sometimes um, there's information that is within your knowledge that prosecutors are not aware of that can make a difference in whether or not those cases uh, are, are indicted or not. And so I think uh, we do a disservice if we allow a case to be indicted, knowing that that type of information uh, might be available. And so that that's why I think presentations can be important. I've always believed that the district attorney race should be more like the mayor's race in that it should not be a partisan race. Yet you are running as a Democrat. Yes. And uh, it's probably not a secret that I'm a Republican. In fact, I used to be a Republican precinct chair. Not a secret. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you've actually been appointed to a board of regents by a, a Republican governor. I was. And uh, two. Two. Twice? Same board? Uh, yes. Different governors. Different. Okay. Mm -hmm. Excellent. In order to win this race, you're going to need support from both sides. How do you intend on doing that? By speaking truth, being genuine, um, spending time talking about what I can bring uh, to the table and not spending time talking about um, the negatives. Um, it, I've tried very hard, you know, throughout this campaign to run a campaign that I can be proud of. And one of the first things that I did when I made the decision to run uh, well, actually, the second thing after making that decision was what type of campaign did I want to run? And I decided uh, very quickly that I wanted to run a campaign based on my experience, based on what I can bring to the office, uh, based on my leadership, 
based on all the skills and abilities that I have and focusing on those and not focusing on uh, either my opponent or any of the negatives. Um, and so I've continued to do that. Um, certainly, if, if, if someone challenges me on something, um, I think it's incumbent upon me to speak out and correct it when it's wrong. Uh, but otherwise, I'm, I'm running on my record. And, and that's what I've been telling everyone that I'm talking to. Um, I agree with you that the DA's race should be a nonpartisan one, um, but it isn't, and we have to pick a party, and so here I am. Um, but I do hope that people will um, look at the records of both candidates um, and make a decision based on the, their records of service to the community um, and their experience, what they've done, um, and how they plan to lead uh, an office of the size of the district attorney's office. You know, my husband always tells me, you know, managers manage, but leaders lead. And it's a totally different um, thing uh, to manage things or people. Um, it's totally different from leading. Um, and so again, I'm a servant leader. Uh, I'm gonna lead from the front and I'm gonna lead in a way that lets the people know who, who are working with me um, that I'm not gonna ask you to do something that I myself wouldn't do. And that's, that's very important to me. Running a race in Tarrant County or running for uh, an elected position in Tarrant County is not an inexpensive endeavor. It is not. <laughs> a lot of articles written about how much money various campaigns have raised during this entire process, both in the primaries and also right now as we're facing the general election. Mm -hmm. Let me start with, have you received any PAC money and more specifically any money from George Soros? No, I have not. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I know that's an issue um, that people have, have raised, um, but I specifically uh, turned down Soros money because and, and I would do that for any, you know, you know, I would if I were a Republican, I would turn down Coke money. Uh, you know, I just I feel very strongly that um, I want this race to be a grassroots race. I want this race to be funded by the citizens here in Tarrant County. And of course, I have family and friends who don't live in Tarrant County, but I want it to be funded primarily by the people that I'm going to represent. Um, I don't want to be beholden to any organization, any groups, any political ideologies. Um, that's not why I'm running. I'm running because I wanna make sure that we have a DA's office that's fair, um, a DA's office that's doing the right thing for the right reasons, um, and a DA's office that is, is working hard to not only keep our community safe, but do what we can to try to make our communities whole as well. Uh, and so, no, I have not received uh, any any money from George Soros. Part two along those lines. Phil Soros has raised a considerable amount on the Republican side of this ticket that eclipses the amount that you've raised on the Democratic side. Has that given you pause about whether or not you should continue down this road? Not at all. Uh, people vote. Money doesn't. And that's my that's been my philosophy. Um, I knew that when I entered this race, I would probably not raise as much money as whoever the Republican uh, candidate would be. 
Um, you know, the Republican Party has has held the DA position for well since I've been here in 1999, and uh, I'm I'm certain there are people that want to keep it that way, and so I expect them to pour money into uh, the Republican candidate to try to ensure a victory. Um, but what I've told people over and over again is you you probably will outraise me, and in this case you have, um, but you won't outwork me. Um, and I'm going to work very hard to earn every vote that I get um, and uh, hope that uh, the work that I've done will uh, reflect the votes that I get. Tiffany, thank you for being here. Thank, thank you, you for, for having me. Again, taking these precious moments right before early voting starts yes. to sit down with us and share the reasons why you're running and a little bit more about yourself with our audience. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's good to see you. You too.